At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like Him. We are committed to being gospel-focused and motivated while we are biblically holistic and humble. As a church family, we want to be in and in the community while being a place that is multi and next generational. As we reflect Jesus in our words and actions, we are united in and honoring diversity. And in all of this, we will prioritize relational and missional discipleship. As we look to the next generation, we have a loving, selfless, always present, and ever caring example in Jesus. Let's be that in our community. Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? Yes, good morning, good morning. Oh, hello. <laughs> so, yeah. um, good to be with you guys. Um, if you are new to our church, if it's your first time here, allow me to say welcome. Uh, my name is Young, and I'm the venue director at our MSU venue here, and um, also our pastor here, which is very weird to say, but um, that started last week. Um, but not to draw attention to myself, so please, thank you, though. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you for coming out. Welcome to our church. Uh, you have joined us as we are, are in our uh, new vision series called Let's Be That. Um, and for today, um, we are talking about uh, the value, one of the core values of being unified in or united in and honoring of diversity. So kind of like a loaded topic. Uh, we're going to solve all these issues in 30 minutes today. So that's the goal, okay? Yeah, right? You laugh at it because that, obviously that's like nearly impossible. Because the last couple years have been very charged when it comes to this topic of diversity, right? Uh, I think that's uh, at the very least we can say that. Uh, and, and, you know, for myself, when, when I uh, was tasked to preach on this, I was nervous but then I was also a little bit excited because there's so many voices right now when it comes to the topic of diversity. What does it look like? What does it mean to be diverse? How does that happen naturally? How does that happen organically within an institution, within an organization? And there's so many different thoughts out there, so many different worldviews out there, uh, even within the church, right? Even within the church, there's so many different approaches to this topic of diversity. Uh, and, and, and today, um, for myself at least, I'm not saying that this is the way, but this is a way for us to approach this as a church family. And so I want to encourage you guys to approach this conversation and to approach this topic uh, with an open mind um, and see how the scriptures point to the reality that the body of Christ is, in fact, a beautiful mosaic of the people of God coming from different backgrounds, whether it's ethnic backgrounds, uh, even different thought backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, and uh, different backgrounds that maybe I haven't listed there, right? So before we jump in, let me read the core value that we have within our church here uh, that we created for this vision series regarding uni being united in and honoring diversity. We wrote this. We said, created in the image of God, we recognize the dignity, dignity of all people. Excuse me. We are a diverse community united around the gospel of Jesus. We do not desire conformity or uniformity but the full expression of our individual and cultural life experiences woven together by our common salvation. We choose to live with a broader cultural perspective than just our own. That is the core value that we are moving forward with as a church family. If you call Riverview your church, this is something that we are standing for, and this is how we are summarizing it. Um, last week, um, I shared uh, that I grew up in a small town called Farmington. Maybe it's not super small. Uh, and I graduated from North Farmington High School. So go Raiders. I don't know. Anyone from Farmington Hills here? Nobody? Yeah? Right? North Farmington? Farmington? Oh, my God. Uh, I'll pray for you, man. No, I'm sure. <laughs> as long as you're not from Harrison. But they, they close. Oh, oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> 
Isn't this your first time here at our church? Welcome. <laughs> what are the chances? Uh, no, but yeah, I grew up in, in Farmington Hills, you know, once in North Farmington. The mo- majority of the school was uh, populated by uh, white students, but for a town like Farmington Hills, it was actually pretty diverse. Like, I'm not going to lie. It was pretty diverse. North Farmington, my school, uh, it was, it was, it's kind of humorous looking back. Uh, and I say this knowing that the conversation about race and ethnicity over, uh, I graduated in 2009, okay? 2009, that was 13 years ago years ago. That's when I graduated high school. 13 years ago, the conversation about race and ethnicity, very different than it is today, I think, um, to some extent. And the thing about our high school uh, was that we had like a very diverse student body, but it was also uh, diverse, but also somewhat segregated in a sense within our school. So for example, in front of our office, the, the front lobby, uh, and this is might probably might not be as PC today, but uh, there were a bunch. Of, that's where all like the Middle Eastern students congregated, right? And then in front of the gym was where all the African American students congregated. And then in our school, we didn't have that many Asian Americans, so we we're kind of just sprinkled throughout. We kind of just you know we're wallflowers. We kind of just scattered throughout, and we would kind of congregate together during lunchtime or whatever, right? And despite our school being pretty diverse, for the most part, I would say that it was, again, pretty segregated or pretty homogenous, which is why my friend group, my personal friend group in high school, we were known as the Model UN. (laughs) We had other, I I had a couple Korean American friends in our friend group. We had a few white American friends, a couple African American friends, a couple Indian American friends, a couple of Jewish friends, right? It was a model UN kind of group. And when other students in our class looked at us, they're like, how, how, is this, how does this happen, right? And I don't know how it happened. But for our friend group, my friend group, the way that my formative years in high school was made and created was with this diverse group of friends. I got to attend bar mitzvahs. I got to attend bat mitzvahs. I got to enjoy different types of foods. Some of my closest Indian friends, they lived in my neighborhood, so I would always go home to, their, to visit their home, and their, their parents would make me food. You know, I got to experience different cultures and traditions during my high school year. But again, the conversation on race and ethnicity back then felt very different than it is now. It doesn't Feel, it didn't feel as forced back then. It didn't feel, uh, it felt, you know, maybe even more natural just to talk about race and ethnicity and diversity. And I'm not saying that that's the case for everyone who lived in America between 2005, 2009, that was my high school years, uh, but it's definitely a lot more charged now, right? Even more so, you can make the case within the church. When it comes to our diverse backgrounds, how do we approach this as a church family? This is a big topic for us and for myself, a, a, a very personal conversation, uh, being a minority in America, being a minority within Riverview, uh, for sure. And so how do we navigate this conversation that is so important for us today? Uh, and I think a good place to start is to actually pray and to ask the Lord's help for this. So would you join me in praying? Let me pray first before we open up the text today, and we'll dive in to see what God's word has to say about this topic. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for, um, we're grateful for you, Lord. We're grateful that we are made in your image, that because of that, Lord, we have worth, we have dignity. We are grateful, Lord, that you uniquely made us into who we are, regardless, uh, or in, uh, in specificity, uh, specificity of our race, whether we're white, Asian, black, whatever, you are very intentional, Lord, in making us into who we are, and we're grateful for that intentionality, Lord. We pray, Father, that as we dive into your word today, this morning, that you, O God, will be glorified, that you, O Lord, would point us to how the gospel draws us together despite our backgrounds, Lord. Help us walk in this way within our church family, to acknowledge the things, uh, our differences, to also acknowledge how the gospel unites us despite them, Lord. Help us to understand this. Open our minds uh, this morning. Make them sharp. Open our hearts as well, Lord. We're grateful, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. 
If you have your Bibles, please open to Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 26 through 27. That's where we're going to start today. Uh, or if you have your phones, feel free to uh, tap your way over there, or you can follow along on the screens there. We're in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. We're going to hop around here a little bit. This is what the word of the Lord says. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. There is a lot that can be said about this passage, but in the context of the core value that we're talking about today, this idea of being made in the image of God or the Imago Dei is critical. It is very critical to understand uh, this in the context of talking about diversity. The pursuit of being unified and honoring in diversity of the different peoples and the backgrounds that people come from, whether it's your creed, your race and ethnicity, socioeconomic background, and yes, even political views, right? It must come from a place, not necessarily from within, but the conversation about unity must come from a place that transcends or is beyond the self, So much of the conversation today around the different identity markers that we have is about what do you believe in, what what makes you internally, but the conversation, I would argue, needs to begin from a place that begins from beyond ourselves, outside of ourselves. That's what we would call a transcendent view. In our society today, we say things like, look within yourself, or you are worthy enough because of who you are deep inside, which I think there are some truths to that. Right? There are some truths to, to, to who we are inside that actually gives us some sense of worth. But I would also say that the biblical view of finding full dignity of who we are as a people does not just come from within, but actually needs to come from a place beyond ourselves. Namely, here, the Christian worldview, we would say, in the Imago Dei, the image of God. It literally comes from God himself. We are created in his image. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? You can have a whole sermon series on this. Let me try to sum it up for us, okay? If you are created in the image of God, which you are, which all of us are, whether you're Christian or not, the whole world, every single individual is created in the image of God, what does that mean? Well, we know that according to the scriptures, that God is a triune God, right? You have God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, And being a triune God is important for us to understand what it means to be made in his image. To be made in the image of a triune God means that there is diversity within the community of the triune God. And there's also distinction in terms of roles and responsibilities and how they function. To be made in the image of God is to be made in the image of a triune God And the thing about God that we know according to the scriptures is that God is love. To be made in the image of God is to be made in the image of love and to to be made in this image of a a community of love. Uh, St. Augustine, actually, he's he's an ancient church father type. The way that he explained the Trinity is not in the sense of just like you know, the, the different modes of this world. That, that's what we call modalism, all that stuff. But the way that he would explain the Trinity is this, that God is the lover, the one who is loved, and the mode of love, or the love itself. And so the thing about the Trinity is that out of this community of love, God actually creates the world, and he creates us in that image of love. Out of love, God creates, and he loves his creation. That is how we understand what it means to be made in the image of God. It does not just come from within. It actually comes from beyond the self. And when we talk about diversity, when we talk about unity and diversity, honoring people who are different than us, we must understand the foundation of that needs to start from that place. In order for us to have a chance At being united in and honoring diversity, we must acknowledge and see the dignity of all people made in the image of God, made in the image of love. Which is why when the image of God in people is fractured, we see that that is perhaps the pinnacle of not loving someone. When you see, for example, racism happen in the world, hate crimes happen, the reason why in very like uh, foundational principles, the reason why that hurts so much 
It's because the image of God is being fractured because we do not see that as a loving act. If you actually continue reading through the book of Genesis, shortly after reading chapter 1, you enter into chapter 2, and then ultimately what follows 2 is 3. And in chapter 3, you have before you the Judeo-Christian understanding and case of why bad things happen in the world in chapter 3, right? We see that sin enters into the world and what, what was once a perfect creation made by God. Not only do we see the why sin entered the world and the how, but we also see the effects of sin, namely in our time today, happen in chapter 3 that still plays out today, which is division. Sin leads to division. Satan, he steps in and he tempts Eve, says, if you eat from this tree, if you eat the fruit, you'll have knowledge of God, you'll have life, you'll be like God. He lies to her. Right? He deceives her, and he ultimately divides Eve and Adam and Eve and God. The effects of sin cause division between humanity and cause division between God and humanity. All throughout the Bible, you see Adam and Eve, they have division, right? Adam and Eve and God have division. And then later, you have Cain and Abel, right? They have division to the point where we see the first murder happen, at least the account of that happen in the Bible. You keep reading. You have King David and his son who tries to kill him. You have King David and his kingdom. It splits, right? Jesus and the Pharisees, there's division there. Members of the first churches, which we'll talk about later. White people, black people, Asian people and black people, right? Asian communities, black communities, there's division there. Republican and Democratic, there's division there. The church and, for example, the LGBTQ plus community, there's division there. We see that after you read chapter 1, where we are made in this image, beautiful image of God, sin enters and creates this divide, and it plagues the world from Scripture, from accounts of Scripture, and to the world that we live in today. And this ends up becoming the backdrop in the world that we live today. We live in a world that is divided. And we need help. Which is why when we run into passages such as John 17 in the scriptures, it is so powerful. So a little bit of a, a chunky passage here. Let me read this for us. John 17 is personally for me my favorite um, chapter in the Bible. Because it shows the heart of Christ when it comes to unity. His heart to bring back what was once in the Garden of Eden. John 17, 20 through 26, it says this. This is Jesus' prayer. He says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. And he's praying to God. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with where I am so that they will see my glory which you have given me because uh, you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved, with, uh, loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. Lengthy passage. If you have the time, please read John 17. It's a beautiful passage of, of Jesus' heart to see his people unified and together. The desire of Christ is to see his people unified. This is a pretty simple message that is hard to ignore in this passage. Jesus uses his relationship and perfect union as the example regarding the type of union he wants to see among his people. But get this, okay? Jesus doesn't pray for unity for unity's sake, okay? This is not some like prayer for like a, a DEI committee, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, okay? He doesn't pray for unity for unity's sake, right? Why does he do this? Jesus prays this prayer, right? Uh, is it to save the face of the Jewish people? To say, like, God, the, the, the Jewish people are so divided. Like, what, what's going on? Is it to save face for them? Is he praying because there's some extrinsic motivation 
No, in fact, we see that there is something much deeper at play when Jesus thinks and prays about unity amongst his people, right? He sees the division that sin causes, but Jesus sees something much deeper with this unity among his disciples. Look at what he says. If you look at uh, John 17 here, he says what? That the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. There is something about unity among followers of Jesus where according to him that if the world sees it, it professes, it is an outward proclamation of some type of like ultimate form of love that this world hasn't experienced. That when the people of God unify together, despite the division that sin causes, there is this outward proclamation that, hey, there is a love that actually brings people together. And that love is a love that God has for them. In Jesus' time, I can imagine the folks that he had in mind when he prayed this, right? Because think about it. In Jesus' time, he's thinking about the people that make up the body of Christ, right? That make up the people of God. It's the widow. It's the adulterer. It's the Pharisee. It's the other carpenters, right? It's the farmers, the tax collectors, fishermen, builders, prostitutes, the broken and the weary. There is something about unity, right, of people coming together where it points to some fascinating love or grace that binds them together. And it triggers a question when people watch, a watching world sees that and says, how is that even possible? How can these people come together despite these differences? And the truth of the matter here is that when people realize the love of Christ, the King, they give their allegiance to him. That's, if you are here today, as Autumn said, if you profess Christ, if you profess faith in the gospel, you're also professing that Christ is your king, that Christ is your Lord, right? You see, when, I, when, I, when we think about the unity among people who are Christ followers, it isn't that we are just all sinners saved by the same grace. That is true, and that is important. We are all sinners saved by the same grace, but what it also says, if you profess Christ, is that you are a citizen in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, and Christ is the king in whom you've given your allegiance to. Does that make sense? There's something about a kingdom where in our world today, where people from different backgrounds are unified together, there's something about a kingdom in our world today where Democrats and Republicans can set aside their political differences and worship the same God together in the same place. There's something about a kingdom where in our world today where people who struggle with internalized racism can sit next to someone who they might hate and worship God, the same God together. There's something where people from different socioeconomic barriers can actually be discipled into the likeness of Christ from one another and to one another. There's something about the kingdom of God in a very divided world today that just is an anomaly. And the question is, can our church reflect that? But the local church at times has struggled with this, even with the first churches. If you actually open your Bibles to Galatians 2, flip over there. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 says this. But when Cephas, or Peter, Apostle Peter, came to Antioch, which is a church, uh, in the city of Antioch, I opposed him. So this is the Apostle Paul writing, okay? I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned, for he regularly ate with the Gentiles, or non-Jews, before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew. Peter withdrew himself. He separated himself from the Gentiles because he feared those from the circumcision party. Keep a pin in that, okay? Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas, which was Paul's uh, partner, right, his friend, his ministry partner was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas or Peter in front of every, everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? There's a lot that's going on in this passage that we don't have time to dig into, but let me bring the main point here. Despite the high priestly prayer from Jesus, Jesus prayed the high priestly prayer of unity. 
Despite that, humans are going to human. <laughs> humans are going to human, and we're going to stick to our guns, and we're going to stay divided. Because <laughs> that's what we like to do. We like to be in comfortable spaces with people that are much more like us than people that are different than us. Humans are going to human, and we see that happen here in the first church. So what happened here between Peter and the Gentiles, or the non-Jews that he was eating with? Essentially, Peter, you know, he's, he's breaking bread with the non-Jews, right? He's, he understood, oh, these non-Jewish people, they love Jesus, they believe in, in the gospel, I can commune with them, they're part of the same family as me. But the circumcision party, which is like a crazy name for a group, have you ever have to name a group anything? Don't name it that, okay? Nor call your party the circumcision party. Like, that's just, if you need, if you're like, what's the circumcision party? Look it up on your own. I'm not going to tell you, <laughs> all right? So there, he's getting, he's breaking bread with the Gentiles, and then the circumcision party comes through, and these are the people that were part of the first church that said, well, you can believe in Jesus, but you also have to stick to the Mosaic law. But we know that's a theological no-no because Jesus came to fulfill the law, and he did it perfectly which is why all you need to do is believe in Christ. You don't need to follow the Mosaic law anymore. But for some reason, Peter saw the circumcision party roll up, right, with, them, with their circumcision party self, and he got scared. He got shook. He's like, oh, my gosh, wait. I, I, I can't be seen with eating with the Gentiles because these guys are going to judge me. They're going to critique me. They're going to think that I'm, I'm not following their way or whatever. And so he fell into hypocrisy, and he got his lunch, or whatever he was eating, Peter and hummus, whatever, and moved over and ate with them. And it was so confusing that even Barnabas, he's like, OG, OG, right? He, he got confused, and he also left. And so now you have the Gentiles eating by themselves, and you have Peter, who, is, who full well knows the gospel, sitting with these people who are borderline heretics in the first church. What we would say this, theologically speaking, is that this was a covenantal divide. Covenantal divide means the different pathway to God. They, they believe in different ways that you can approach God. For Peter, it was believe in the gospel. For these, the circumcision part, it's believe in the gospel and still obey the Mosaic laws. Right? Covenantal divide. Is there a covenantal divide in our day and age today? Of course. I think so. But there's also much more reasons for division in our church today than just a covenantal divide. We don't really worry about that as much. Maybe to some degree we do. But things, like I said, there are other modes of division that have seeped into the church. For example, about two years ago when you know, all of COVID happened and it was literally on the, the weeks before lockdown happened and you know, there, was, there was this weird rhetoric about Asian Americans and if you were Asian, you probably already had COVID by default, which is like kind of crazy <laughs> to me. And I remember I had gotten, uh, had lunch plans. This is literally before, like I think a week before things started shutting down, right? And I had, I had planned to get lunch with someone and um, <clears throat> I had planned to get lunch with someone, and we were going to go to Omi Sushi. Fantastic place. Right by, yeah, right by Coldstone, right off of MAC. But I got a text from him, this individual, uh, the, day, uh, the day of. And he said, hey, do you mind if we just go to Potbelly's? And that was, like, right across the street. If you know, if you know uh, Omi Sushi, Potbelly's right across the street. I was like, oh, yeah, I love Potbelly. The wreck? Come on, man. I'm cool with that, right? I love the rack. It's so good, right? And the shakes? Come on, man. I'll get the shakes too. That's cool. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I wonder if it's because he thinks he'll get COVID if he goes to eat at a sushi restaurant because it's Asian. And so we get pop bellies. And I ask him, Do you th is this why you asked me? And he actually, by my surprise, he was like, actually, yeah. Crazy, right? Looking back, crazy, right? Right? Crazy, right? 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 Crazy, right? Affirm me here. <laughs> this was someone, you know, who I consider a brother in Christ, right? He is a brother in Christ. He's a friend. And yet there was some sort of teaching, some sort of idea, rhetoric that caused a division 
between him and I. And in this case, it wasn't a covenantal divide, but it was racism or some form of racial prejudice. What we see happen in the first church, division comes in a sneaky way. What we see in our church today, our churches today, is a sneaky way that division comes in, in the form of biases. We must be cognizant of our biases towards one group of people over another, because if not, it can become an obstacle for the gospel to be lived out. Because quite honestly, in that moment, I did not feel loved and cared for. I did not feel like this person saw me as a brother, right? Or Asian culture as, you know, a non-threat or whatever. We have to be cognizant of our biases towards one group of people over another. Peter had that when it came to the Gentiles. And we have that in our churches, not just on racial and ethnic lines, but so many other, other lines as well. If you actually read one chapter over in Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul writes this. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, according, heirs according to the promise. I've had many, before we jump into it real quick, I've had many conversations over the last couple of years where very well-meaning brothers and sisters of the faith, they have used this passage, right? Especially that part, there's no Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male and female, that we're all one in Christ Jesus to say, well, God doesn't see color, or there is no need for conversations about race and ethnicity in the church because we're all one in Christ. Let me be the first to say that is a gross interpretation of this passage. If, if anything, it is, it is in fact inaccurate. Because if you're going to say that there's no such thing as color or whatever, then there's no such thing as gender. There's no such thing as socioeconomic class, right? You have to apply it there. So let me just put that out there. That is a gross interpretation of this passage because this passage is actually about unity, but unity that the gospel actually brings and emphasizes the distinctive identity markers that we do carry that God intentionally made us with. If you can track with me here, this is why Paul, coming from the context of Peter and the Gentiles and the covenantal divide, right? There was assimilation that to the Jewish law and the Jewish lifestyle for the non-Jews. That's what the circumcision party was trying to do. Assimilate people into their theological view. And Paul understood that this form of assimilation was destructive to the church. Paul's rationale and theology moves him to make the case that assimilation into the law was not how the church was to be unified, but rather assimilation into Christ, being made into his likeness, was actually the way in which the church was to live. That our sonship and daughtership is the key to unification of the church. So what does Paul mean by when he says there is no Jew nor Greek nor whatever, whatever, right? What Paul means by this is not there are no such things as socioeconomic class, that there's no such thing as race and ethnic division or background or whatever, right, or gender. But what Paul is saying is that you don't need to assimilate into Jewish culture. You don't need to assimilate into Jewish law but you can come fully as yourself so much as long as you submit yourself to the authority and supremacy of Christ Jesus. Which is why he says anyone can come to Jesus, and he what? You have been clothed with Christ. So I stand before you guys here today fully, you know me, I love being Korean. I talk about it way too much, and it's annoying. I get it, especially for my friends who are not Korean, especially for those who are Chinese. People, Chinese, my, my Chinese friends are like, yo, Korean people need to stop talking about being Korean. We get tired of it, right? I love being Korean. But I know first, my first and foremost identity is in Christ Jesus. 
It is in Christ Jesus, but not to say that in a way where it eliminates my Koreanness, but if anything, it emphasizes my Koreanness. It highlights the areas where the, the way that the Lord has made me as a Korean man, there are glimpses of Korean culture that point to the beauty of the gospel, that point to the beauty of how the Lord operates in creating us. There are parts of you being black, of you being white, of you being Hispanic or Latino that emphasize and point to the beauty of Jesus. And we have the ability to find that when we understand that our first and foremost identity is in Christ. So when it comes to the church, our church at least, at least especially in our venue here, I'm not going to ask you, leave your blackness at the door, leave your whiteness at the door, leave your Koreanness or whatever at the door. Bring it in and submit it to Christ. And see how the gospel unifies people together. The gospel does not eliminate the very things that make the church diverse, but rather it unifies a diverse group of people by taking captive of their differences and flipping it to glorify the same God that we worship. So what do we do then within our church, within our lives? Let me read this again, our core value. We are created in the image of God. We recognize the dignity of all people. We are a diverse community united around the gospel of Jesus. We do not desire conformity or uniformity. Another way to say that is assimilation, other than that to Christ Jesus. But the full expression of our individual and cultural life experiences woven together by our common salvation, we choose to live with a broader cultural perspective of our own. The gospel of Jesus is the bridge that unites us all together to humbly and graciously learn from one another from people who are different than you. So if someone makes a mistake, like my friend did, when we got lunch, it hurt a lot. And it took time for me to actually recover from that in terms of like trying to view him lovingly. But the gospel of Jesus is what unites us. The common salvation in Christ Jesus, that Jesus died for both of us, for both of our sins, and that he resurrected from the grave three days later after being buried for both of our sins, that he ascended to the right hand of God where he prays for our, our brotherhood in that moment where sin would try to divide through the sin of racism and racial prejudice, Jesus prays and says, hey, hey, no, that's not the way that we are called to live. And he prays for unity among us. The gospel is what unified us. And the gospel is what gave me the ability to show grace when he made a mistake. See that? But sometimes it takes time and that's okay. So what do we do with all this? Close with a few application points. As a church, reach out to someone here in our church that is from a different campus ministry. The beauty of being a local campus church is that we have people from different campus ministries represented here. Generations, UCO, Crew, InterVarsity, His House, you know. Reach out to someone from a different campus ministry. Be friends with them. Check your internal biases. We all have them. Whether it's on racial and ethnic lines, socioeconomic lines, political lines. Check your internal biases and figure out how they got there and how the gospel and scripture addresses those biases under the allegiance to Christ Jesus as your king. If you're in the inside group, Frank Tan, he's an he's a, a, a elder candidate at our church, and he taught on this a few months ago. If you're part of the inside group or the majority group at the MSU venue, welcome those who are, not on, who are on the outside. You know exactly who you are. Don't just hi, uh, talk with people that you know when you come here on Sunday, but talk to people who are new, who are here for the first time. Read books from pastors and theologians who are not of the majority evangelical culture. There's a lot to learn from the different church traditions. Don't just stick to the people and the things that you know about. And then lastly, here's a simple one. Because we are a, um, a local church, um, oh God. Um, we actually have a worship night coming up where 15-plus campus ministries here at MSU are gathering together, MSU Night of Worship, 
Put this in your calendars, in your, in your notes or whatever. Saturday, April 23rd um, in Wells Hall. Uh, I think it's room B115 or something like that. Uh, you can follow, find that on our social media. Um, 7.30 in the evening. 15 plus different campus ministries are gathering together to worship together. To worship the same God together. A beautiful display of unity so that the world may know that God loves them. There's something about seeing people gathered together, different races, different ministries, different whatever, coming together to worship God. Something about that that points a watching world that, that there's a love, a grace, a mercy that transcends them beyond the self that brings them together. And for us as Christ followers, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That sin did not discriminate on who it affected. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that, that it also does not discriminate on who can receive the gospel and salvation through Christ Jesus. So let me pray for us. Pray this over our church. Pray for our campus even. Um, that they would see Christ through Riverview through the unity here that is within our church, through the different ministries, through the different ethnic backgrounds, through the different socioeconomic classes, through the different, you know, even faith traditions. There's some of us here, charismatic. Some of us, not charismatic. You know what I mean? Everything in between. There's something about the gospel that can bring us together that shows the world that God loves them and cares for them and that we can seize that opportunity to point them to the gospel. Let's pray that. Would you join me in praying? Um, we'll wrap it up with that. Father, we are grateful for the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that the gospel unifies us, that the gospel challenges us in so many different ways, Lord. Sometimes unity and diversity and all that stuff gets just so out of whack. In your word, it centers us, it grounds us to the truth that through Christ and the gospel, there's something that is so powerful of a force in this world that can bring broken sinners together. Do that in our church every single day. Do that in our individual lives. Do in individual lives. Do that in our communities every single day, Lord. Unify us to one another and unify us to yourself, Lord. May we learn how to commune with one another as we commune with you. We pray that not just for the MSU venue, but for every single venue within our church family. Be with us in this way, and as we worship you together as a unified church in one unified voice through song, may you receive the glory and may you delight in that worship, Lord. We thank you and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, y'all. Hey, we're all going to start uh, by all taking just a few minutes just to share who you are, share your background, share the culture that you were raised in your community. And uh, yeah. The community that I grew up in was predominantly Korean American, immigrant generation, so my parents' generation, um, along with just a lot of second gen, uh, which so I'm considered second gen. I grew up in a very small Korean Southern Baptist church. We moved all around the country because of my dad's job. And so I've lived in Texas and Metro Detroit and uh, Florida. But in all of those places that we moved, we kind of lived in the same place, which is the suburbs. <laughs> so I, I was the one, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. So yeah. uh, that's where I was my entire life, whether that was Texas, here, you know, wherever. Hearing you say that kind of breaks my heart. So mm. um, I'm excited to hear your story, Dewey. So I grew up actually an only child. Um, and just with my mom. My parents divorced when I was two, and I was in Metro Detroit as well, Commerce Township. For me, like, it's community that really has shaped my faith because to not have, like, siblings, I always wanted mm. that. Some of that background shaped mm. my decision, to even just, like, to pursue being in church community. Yeah. I was born in uh, the Dominican Republic. If you guys have seen Encanto, that is 100% mm -hmm. like the Hispanic oh, family. Like mm -hmm. that is exactly how it is, is that there is this strive to always be 
perfect to be the good descendant, always making sure that the people above you are happy and proud of what you are doing. And that is not who I was. Mm. For church background, we would go to Spanish churches, black churches, um, you know, predominantly white churches. So there was never like a home church that we really had, which kind of just led me to be that weird person like Dewey, right? That The one in every sort of situation that I was in, it was never... Um, oh, this is where I fit. It was just always different people. I was adopted at a young age. I was born out of wedlock and to a child um, in Korea, South Korea, and my parents adopted me when I was six months old. I've stayed in the same place my entire life, which is Williamston. Yeah. It was really hard for me to see myself as anything but a white person. Mm. Um, right. I was that one, you know, that I molded myself into what my friends were, and to this day, I have a hard time seeing myself as a Korean. Mm -hmm. I grew up, for the most part, in Canton, Michigan, and I went to uh, a super small school. Uh, I think I graduated with 46, and it wasn't until much later that I really understood, like, what are the gifts of um, diversity and what are, um, how can we celebrate that and celebrate that in someone else and not just look for the things that make me unique, but to, like, celebrate the ways that um, our community is unique. So how would you say your life experience has kind of informed your own faith? Growing up, I had to, I was dealing with this juxtaposition of, knowing that I'm loved and accepted. But then in this space that I live in around me, like I'm wrong. Mm. Like people say, well, I want you to grow up. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a police officer. I wanted to be white. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what I wanted to be. Like it was a kind of a defense mechanism for me. Whereas if I can attack myself and my race before mm -hmm. you can, mm -hmm. I now have that power. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so now there's nothing you can say that's worse than what I've already said to myself over and over again. And like the worst part about it is that it worked. Right. It literally worked it yeah. in the sense that I was accepted or tolerated. I don't really know which one it is, to be honest. Um, but I definitely wasn't celebrated. Mm. Mm. This wasn't um, a conversation that I always had to think about. Um, and I could opt in and opt out as much as I wanted. As like a white man, it's very easy for me to like find any kind of community where I like mm -hmm. feel very comfortable and not disrupted. But I feel like that's what the gospel challenges me to do is to press into those spaces. Um, to like use this, the, the grace to mess up and to like set that before community that I trust, um, set that before the Lord, um, and to like let go of things that maybe have brought me a lot of safety and comfort um, in order for the gospel to shine through. I, I love that, especially that last part, because I think what the gospel does compel you to do is to branch out from your inner circle, right? And to be challenged and to be, um, you know, to ask for forgiveness when you make mistakes and whatnot. And I think yeah, just what you said, man. It's just, it's so powerful. Yeah. And I see it, I genuinely see it. Like, it's not all talk from Jordan. Like, I actually see it, <laughs> you know, with him. If, if we allow ourselves to be a little uncomfortable and experience other people's backgrounds like we are here, I think that changes things and allows you to celebrate the fact that we are different. Yes, we're all made in God's image, mm -hmm. but we're all made in God's image in a unique way right. that allows us to bring those things to one another. And if we embrace that ability to be uncomfortable and allow ourselves a little bit of that space, that gives us so much more room to look at things and say, I see where you're coming from. I see where you're coming from and, and be able to talk about those things in a way that truly allows people to be seen. Yeah. yeah. Good. If I can carry the weight of discomfort by going into somewhere that someone else is comfortable, if I can enter that and feel uncomfortable, but go with Jesus, like I just feel like I can I can do I can carry the weight of the discomfort or the displacement so that they don't have to. Mm. There's been something sticking in my mind in this conversation that is just what would it look like for the church to celebrate people instead of tolerate them? <laughs> and that's coming, Dewey, from what you said. I mean, in your own experience of like, yeah. I, I never felt celebrated. Mm -hmm. I felt tolerated. Uh, that has never come into my mind <laughs> growing up in a, in a white community. 
being a part of a predominantly white church. Um, so I'm curious how, how the posture of Riverview churches could be, we're going to celebrate people instead of tolerate them. There is something about your blackness, about your Asianness, even about your whiteness for our white brothers and sisters that you can bring to the table that sanctifies one another. Mm -hmm. And I think the beauty of the gospel is that it is the thread that ties us all together. And that's the thing about the gospel that I definitely think uh, gets misconstrued in a lot of white American evangelical spaces is that, well, the gospel like washes away your color and washes mm -hmm. away your ethnic background yeah. when really actually the gospel is more so of a thread that ties us all together, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is why I think it's, it's important for everyone to embrace the ethnic background that the Lord has made you in and then bring that to the table. Mm -hmm. yeah. If we are both created in God's image and we are different, then there's like a piece of the image of God that's lacking if I'm the only person represented. Mm -hmm. um, that is an mm -hmm. incomplete picture of who God yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. And if we just continuously want to like know God more by bringing people in to hear their stories and, yes. and the things that God has taught them, like we can do, like that's a culture change. That's like a permanency thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I think, what we have been praying for. And that's, I think, Jordan getting into the, the question of how does the gospel Mm -hmm. inform this area of a church when it comes to diversity, or when it comes to being united in that and embracing that. I think that starts with relationships. Like, are you willing to be intentional with people and dig in and be yeah. uncomfortable together? I think right. that's what draws people in, is your willingness to, like, sit with people in their story and, like, let them see, feel heard, <laughs> feel seen, yeah. feel accepted Hey, you just told me that, but you're accepted here because of what Christ has done for us. Like that's what unites us. If you really just root into your to a church, recognize that there is diversity and diversity is needed mm -hmm. and needing to be celebrated and talked about within the church. Like, yeah, you're going to have those uncomfortable times, but they're so needed like we've talked yeah. about. There's a passage, it's the what's happening, it's like after like Jesus tells the disciples like I'm going to go do the thing. And, uh, you know, Jesus is like, well, you're going to, you guys are going to go, you guys are going to go and spread message and all that kind of stuff. And Peter's like, well, how are they going to know that, like, we're like the real, yeah. like, right. Jesus Christ OGs? Like, how, how, do, they, how do they know? <laughs> and, and Jesus was like, they're going to know about how you love them. Mm -hmm. If the evidence is in our community that, holy cow, look at what Riv does for everyone. <laughs> as we invite everyone. That's what that looks like. That's it. And how we're, the, the proof is in how we're loving people. Yeah. Yeah.